0: to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. In the world of real estate investing, it takes a lot of skills to make a deal run smoothly. From acquisitions and underwriting to operations, investor relations, and even marketing, a lot of roles are required. Today's guest, Ruth Hiller, got involved with a mentorship program, met several other quality operators, and is now acquiring C-plus and B-class multifamily properties with 60 units and above. So today we have with us a very interesting lady that I'm excited to interview, always to talk about real estate, but maybe even more, you know, she's an artist, which makes her probably by definition, no offense intended to all the other people. (laughs) that i've podcasted and i'm going to podcast it probably makes her more interesting than most i mean so uh and so that's why i'm really excited about it and so we have with us a a multi-family investor and syndicator with a very interesting background her name is ruth hiller ruth welcome to street smart success
1: thank you so much i'm so honored to be on your show and i really appreciate you having me today looking forward to uh to seeing what you have to ask.
0: You got it. Well, I guess the first question, which, you know, the first one's more for the audience since I already know based on what we already discussed, which is where do you hail from? I know you're in Vale, which I didn't intend for those things to rhyme, but they do. But where, where do you hail from originally? And what is your, you know, who is Ruth Hiller?
1: Who is Ruth Hiller? Well, I I was born in Iowa, raised in Los Angeles, uh, lived in New York City for 13 years, and I've now been in Colorado for 23. So uh, I'm kind of from all over the place. Where and do you, who,
0: where where did you live in New York?
1: I lived in New York City in Soho. I had a place there for 30 years, which I just sold last November.
0: You lived there. Thir- I thought you said 13. Thir- 13 or
1: 30. I lived. I lived there 13 years, but I owned the place for 30 years.
0: Oh wow! Oh my goodness! Yeah.
1: Yeah, I bought it in, ni- in the '90s and paid nothing. It's one of those too big, too good to be true stories, right? Where I I bought it in the '90s, and my I had an amazing attorney at the last minute. He got the price down super low, and and um, I got it. And yeah, included in that price, which I I love this part of the story, was uh, a retail space. So aside from owning the apartment, uh, we owned lofts in Soho. Ah, uh, we were. I, there was five of us, and we all we were all one fifth owner of the retail space, which we still own. at uh, Retail storefront in Soho.
0: Do you have a tenant in there right now? We do. Is it like an is it a tenant one would know?
1: Uh, Bronx and Banco. It's a high fa- a high fashion tenant.
0: I see. That's cool. And how's their yeah. business with, you know, I was just in New York a couple weeks ago because I like to go there at least once a year, but hadn't been there for a few years because of pandemic. And I was jonesing to go to New York. And finally, I, I just got comfortable enough where it's just like I was hearing everything's wide open again. And so I went uh, and I did not see to my naked eye, I did not see a lot of retail vacancy anywhere. So h- how is your tenant doing?
1: I think they're doing well. They do really well. They have a strong name. I mean, when the pandemic hit, we were vacant. And so she just, she moved in during the pandemic, but it, I feel like retail is definitely tanked. I remember like five years ago, we were probably charging three times as much rent for the retail as we are now. So I've seen it go, go down, which. I remember, you know, back in the day when I first bought the place, I think the, our retail tenant was paying like 1700 a month and it was like a wood shop in like 1992. And that was before Soho was like really big.
0: And what are you getting now?
1: I don't know what we're getting now. I know the, the highest, at the highest point, we were getting like 35000 a month for that space, I know. <laughs> oh
0: my God. For how, how big is it?
1: It's, uh... The top floor is about 2,000 square feet and the basement's about 1,500, so like 3,500 square feet.
0: Oh my God. Darn, man. That That's when real estate is fun.
1: That's when real estate is fun, right? So yeah. So I don't know what we're going to do with that. I think we're eventually looking to sell that space.
0: I see. My goodness gracious. Well, that is really, really awesome. And then, so why did you go from New York to Colorado?
1: I moved from New York to Colorado because I love the mountains, and I was I was just tired of city life. But I kept my apartment, and so what ended up happening, you know, till I sold it recently, I would spend a lot of time in New York. So I, would, I rented out occasionally, but really, because the, the the beauty of that deal was that when the retail space was rented, which was almost a hundred percent of the time until a couple of years ago, it paid for all my monthly expenses. So. My New York apartment never really cost me anything because the retail space paid for everything. So that's why I just kept it and didn't really rent it out. I
0: see that. It sounds like that wouldn't be called like a house hack, but the the principle kind of applies where you had a tenant basically paying for all your living expenses.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that worked out in my favor, but I didn't know that when I bought the place, right? So that was an added benefit.
0: I see. Yeah, no, I sometimes we stumble into things and, but you know, you bought it and and you took the step. And so I saw that you, and I, and I forget, I looked at your profile and I, you went to art school in, am I crazy? Or was that in LA or like, where was that?
1: I went to art center college of design in Los Angeles, in Pasadena, California, actually. So we, we moved to LA in the seventies and then I decided I want to be a designer. So I went to design school and I have a, a degree in graphic design and packaging. And so um, I've done a lot of packaging design in the day for when Barneys in New York was around. I worked for a really famous guy named Milton Glaser. He's like, he did the I Love New York logo back in the day. He was my first boss out of college. So I had an interesting career uh, doing that for sure. I just, after a while, just didn't enjoy it as much.
0: Was that the I Heart New York
1: Yes, that was, that was his logo that he invented. So I worked for him. He was a really great guy. He, he was one of my mentors, and he just, I think he died. I had two mentors. He was one of them, and he died, uh, I think, two years ago, 96 or something. He had a good life.
0: I see. Now, when you say we moved to, you didn't say, you said L.A., and you went to school in Pasadena. And so when you say we, are you talking about your family moved from Iowa to L.A.?
1: My family moved from Iowa to LA when I was about 11 and and then you know they settled there and then when I, I went to um, I moved what did I do? I moved back east when I was uh, 18. I went to Boston University because I decided e- I want, wanted to be as far away from my parents as possible.
0: <laughs> you didn't succeed. you only you only went about 3,500 miles. You, you could have gone like another few thousand like on the in, in Europe somewhere.
1: Right, right, right. So, but I get that. Yeah. So, the, but then I went back to California um, after that, and I went to Art Center in California.
0: So, how do they go from uh, a really small town in Iowa to L.A.?
1: Well, my mom, my mom's family lived in L.A. My grandma moved to L.A. in the '40s, and I love the story about my grandma too because my grandma, um, when she, her husband died in 1940, she moved to LA and she bought three multifamily apartment buildings and supported her family her whole life with those properties. So I, I love, and I'm, I wish I could, cause she's not alive. She died in the nineties. I wish I could ask her how she, with an eighth grade education, how she knew to do that.
0: <laughs> do you know where they were? I mean, approximately West, West um, of LA or.
1: Yeah. There's one on Hollywood and Hollywood and Gardner. There was one down in Koreatown on, uh, what was the name of it? It was New. The street was called New Hampshire, and then there was a third one that was sold probably before I was alive, so I don't know where that one was.
0: Wow. So that's what took you guys. Was that a? And we'll get to the real estate stuff, but was that a hard transition moving from from uh, Iowa to L.A.?
1: Yeah, and I was an only child, and I was kind of a hick, so uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was hard. And my parents. The reason my parents decided to to move to L.A. was because Our family's Jewish and we were the only Jewish family in the town and it it brought a lot of grief to our family. So my parents thought, oh, well, let's move to L.A. where there's like a really big Jewish community. Although I've never really been really, I'm not a religious Jew. (laughs) So um, they were more religious than I was.
0: Okay. So so here's the question. So so did they own the department store in Iowa? Was your dad a professional? Like how, how on earth does a Jewish family, because I, no offense, but from one to another, I assumed you were Jewish, right? Okay. So the one thing, if you guys lived in Des Moines, I get that. How the hell did you guys wind up in the middle of nowhere in Iowa?
1: Uh, my dad and his dad opened a furniture and carpet store.
0: Okay. <laughs> Same concept. So-
1: same concept, right? And so that it was like the top furniture and carpet store in Iowa in that corner, right? And, and then our uh, my other family opened the second, it was Hiller Carpets. And then they opened the second Hiller Carpets in Minnesota. So they kind of had all of the uh, lower Minnesota, you know, Iowa covered.
0: I see. Okay. Okay. The picture is becoming clear to yours <laughs> truly. Okay. So then, you know, you remind me of me, and I hope you don't take that. I hope you take that as a compliment and not an insult, because it, it, it it's really neither, but just how you came into real estate. Because I bought a duplex in San Francisco. Like uh, I'm like, I couldn't afford a single family. And I had this agent showing me house after house after house. You and I are unfortunately probably about the same age. And I'm like, how about a duplex? You know, he's like, okay. He's like, it already been showing me around for like six months. And I was scared to death to pull the trigger because it was so much money and you know, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, I, you know, I buy a duplex and Jed's a millionaire. So, so how did you transition from art into real estate in your current like iteration of it?
1: Well, I jokingly call myself the accidental businesswoman because I've always owned real estate. So I, I, I went to a mastermind recently, and I had to get up and give a presentation. And so, you know, the, you, you present, you, you know, all the, the real estate. It was a real estate mastermind, so all the real estate that you've owned, all the businesses you've had. And then I, you know, once I put together that, I was like, oh my god, I've been doing this since I'm like 29, right? I've had single-family homes and a retail space and multifamily, and you know. And so I just called myself the accidental businesswoman because, because I studied art, right? I didn't really study business. <laughs> and I didn't really ever think of real estate as a business,
0: very interesting, yeah, so maybe give me a top line on the houses that you owned, and it doesn't have to be every single one, but you know you clear it sounds like I don't know if Soho was the first one, but like you know yes, when Soho you, was the when, first one was it so like when did you figure out it was a business or decide to make it a business?
1: Well, so I owned Soho, and then uh my parents died in. My mom died. My dad died in the 80s, but my mom died in 2000. And so I inherited 118 unit C-class multifamily in Bellflower, California. I was 50% owner. And so honestly, the reason I call myself the accidental businesswoman, because I just really, for like 18 or 16 of those years, I just cashed the check and didn't really know anything about the business. And then I started to educate myself, right? I'm like, well, I have this. Now I can write a business plan for a multifamily from that. And so then I bought some single family. I had the New York space. And then, you know, once I started learning uh, and then I bought a failed multifamily one in Colorado at, right after my mom died, I bought like a 32 unit and I didn't know what I know now. Obviously I didn't know how to do due diligence. I didn't know how to do lease audits. I didn't know any of that. And so. The books were doctored and like i lost like half a million dollars on that. i know it's not funny but it, like i would never make that mistake again that's for sure
0: you and i have so much in common it's uh, that funny oh my god we have a lot in common so is bellflower is that like uh that cute little town in near long beach or is that
1: yeah it's like- kind of inland from long beach it's like east of long beach and west of compton so back when my parents bought it they they bought that property in 1968. It was a converted hotel, and it was kind of a bad drug neighborhood. and And we got had this great property manager that turned it around in the 70s. And so after the you know after the 70s, it started. To, it's performed really well ever since.
0: Got it. I'm thinking of an, I'm thinking of Belmont Shores.
1: Oh yeah, no, no, no. Bellflower is kind of inland. It's interesting because it was not the greatest, you know, I've been there recently because I've been checking on the property and I'm like, you know, the average house now right next door to our apartment complex is 700,000 or like these, right. Yeah. So it's been, I've seen the demographics change. I I can't believe, like I said, but in the seventies, it was like a uh, total drug and drug neighborhood and gang build. And so we had a property manager that was able to get, turn it around.
0: You must have learned a lot through that. So, who's the "we"? If you're an only child, who 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 do you own the building with?
1: Well, I, I owned the building with. It was my my mom and dad bought it with my aunt and uncle, and so when my my mom when my mom died, I partnered with my uncle, and he he was the patriarchal, like ruled with an iron fist. I, had my opinion, he wouldn't even ask my opinion. You know what I mean? And I didn't know I was young. I'm like I oh, don't know, you know. And um, then he died in 2013, and his sons inherited it. And uh, to make a long story short, we're not very amicable towards each other. <laughs> we, I've done a lot of personal development, and I believe you can do anything. I believe you can make any money. If you've got, you can do anything. And they just looked at me and they're like, we're not interested, right? And so it's been a 50-50 type of thing. And so unfortunately i had to sue them for business dissolution which sounds horrible but i'm going to say because of them i educated myself so i got involved in a multifamily mentoring group and i joined a mastermind and now now i can run because they said no to everything i ever asked for right so i learned about asset management i learned about underwriting i learned about how to do the om how to do the due diligence and so um they were worthy opponents, but I learned a lot because of them. Because I wasn't going to make that same mistake that I did like, you know, 23 years ago with that other multifamily that I bought.
0: <laughs> Do you now own the property and they're out of the picture?
1: No, it's on the market for triple what I thought it was worth. Actually, the con- not, not, not on the market. It's like under contract and the contract is supposed to close this Friday.
0: <laughs> wow. I know. So they still, you guys still co-own it?
1: We still co-own it, okay. but we haven't spoken in almost a year.
0: I see. So you guys are going <laughs> to each you know, get a nice check and go your own ways.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. Okay.
0: <laughs> what are you going to do with the money?
1: I'm going to re. I, well, I've already found, I am uh, just found, because I'm in a, a multifamily ecosystem. And so I've been in it for about three years. And so what my goal being in that ecosystem was to learn to meet as many people as I could and see who the good operators were. And learn as much as I could. I didn't even want to be a GP. I just wanted to Oh, passive sounds great. If I could take them, and this was my idea three years ago, if I could take the money from the LA property, which I was making like 3% on and invest in these deals that were making 8% and doubling your money, I, you know, I could have 10 x it and I'll still 10X it, you know, but, um, that was sort of how I got interested. And then I met enough people in the group that now I'm, uh, I have partners that I'm G, GPing. And the, the interesting thing is, what I'm investing it in is i I'm um, some partners from the group have just sold a building in Iowa actually it was like a hundred unit multifamily in Iowa and so they're ten thirty running it. They wanted a fourth partner and we've we've become friends in the group and so I'm going to go in on a new deal in Texas. it's a seventy two unit um in Waxahachie.
0: never heard of that and and
1: it's it's kind of outside dallas I, I like the Dallas area and it's a it's a retirement it's it, i don't know if it's senior living i think 80% have to be over 55 which is not my normal what i would invest in but i love the team and so that that's one thing that i've learned in multifamily too it's like it doesn't matter all the numbers look amazing you know to me when people ask what's the most important thing to me it's the team do they have a good track record is it a good asset manager and you know obviously the location comes after that right but to me the team is the most important thing
0: as a GP in that deal, what role do you play?
1: So he just, i am right now. I'm getting insurance quotes. So that we're all, yeah, we're all general partners. There's no investors in this deal. It's just our own. The four of us will own the property.
0: I see. Wow. Okay, I got it. And so it doesn't sound like you are. You know, I'm saying that on the one hand, but maybe I'm wrong. It's not sounding like you're going to ten thirty one out of it, or are you?
1: Out of oh, my LA property. Yeah. No, no, I'm not going to 1031. I I have a really great real estate accountant. And so he told me how much I need to invest with bonus depreciation before the end of the year to offset my taxes. And so that, that's what I'm going to do. He said, you know, by the time you 1031, these guys are 1031ing their deal into the deal we're partnering on. But, um, I'm not going to with the LA property. I'm just going to, there's enough deals going on in the group that I could GP and, and offset my tax burden.
0: Yeah. And then you don't have a gun to, you don't have a, a three month gun to your head or a forty. No. A gun to your head to identify a piece of property and 40, another 45 to close and you still get the same benefits.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. um,
0: so well, all of those proceeds, it doesn't sound like it. I was going to ask if are all those proceeds going into the 72 unit, but it doesn't sound like it. it
1: no, like no. It. I'll probably get my, my, I would probably do two joint ventures. So I'll find another team that wants to do a similar thing. And then I was looking at doing two to three syndications where I'm the GP. My skill set is investor relations, education and capital raising. And so I could bring my own money as part of the gp team as a passive investor and then also gp the deal so that that was my that's my goal for this year
0: so on the on those where you'll be a gp and you'll do the syndication will you and you know this is kind of like terminology jargon but will you be the main gp in those deals kind of creating the deal yourself
1: no i'm not the main gp so i have a, a team that i work with Two women that are really their their skill set is asset management and like you know running those kind of those hundred unit plus types of properties and so we're all co GPs but they you know they get paid extra to to run the deal you know they get the asset management fee and they do the day to day operations but you know as you know as part of the it's a five hundred six b according to the SEC law. I still need to be involved. Even if I'm raising capital, I still need to be involved in the life of the deal. So what I usually do is I help with um, this last project. I did all the logo design and the new signage and like whatever, you know, help with CapEx and stuff because it's illegal just to raise capital and walk away.
0: (laughs) I got it. Okay. Well, that makes like all the sense in the world. I, I totally get that. On the multifamily front, do you have a a predisposition to a certain class and vintage? And, you know, do you have a wheelhouse of of what you get excited about or that you're looking for?
1: Well, when I first got into my mentoring group, the stuff that he taught was, you know, 60 units and above C-class, right? But but now you know, cap rates have compressed so much it's like the, the cap rate for the C class is the same as the cap rate for the B class. And so now we've started looking at some B properties. The property that I'm joint doing the joint venture, I think it was built in the in the 80s, so it's a B property. it's better can it's it's really good condition because like the property I own in California is C class and there's just so much deferred maintenance you have to budget in for like a huge plumbing bill every month because the pipes are so old, right and so we're kind of transitioning, at least the teams I'm working with, to you know C plus B minus, like in there. And I, I know some people have transitioned to A class, but I'm not ready for that yet.
0: <laughs> Why?
1: I, I don't know. It just see I don't I don't understand it enough, right? The value add C and B, I understand that that model. And so the A class, it's not as much value add. But the, the the whole reason I got into this is I love the idea of helping the investors, right. But also that the workforce communities, I love making it a nicer place for people to live. Cause right. you know, that, 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 that was one thing with our property in California that my business partners were never really interested in. Like we have 118 families here. We could make this so much better and we could make a little extra money too and make it better. And they're just like, nah,
0: <laughs> they just want to keep mailing it in.
1: Yeah. They just want them the mailbox money. So
0: I, I see. Interesting you may or may not touch this piece because you're, don't take it the wrong way. It sounds like you're more of a creative type, which would be applied to me too. So I don't know if you get involved in the financing, but if to the extent that you do, do you have a, uh, a point of view on financing in terms of how to how to take these deals down?
1: Well, right now it just seems like bridge debt is what's been working, but it's really interesting because the, the last Loan we got on the we, the 143 unit one that I just GP'd in uh, November, we had a bridge debt, and you know you have to pay a cat a, a rate cap so that it's floating, and so you want to make sure it doesn't go up. And I think our rate cap was fifty thousand a year. Now it's four hundred thousand a year on deals I'm seeing mm-hmm. for the rate cap. And so we're looking at this one that we're joint venturing is doing like half recourse and half non recourse.
0: So when to back up a section, you're saying you're having, you had to pay 400 grand to get a rate cap.
1: If you want a rate cap. And so that's why we're looking at like, all right, we're, we're looking at more creative ways that that's what bridge debt, you know, and then Fannie and Freddie right now will only give you 50 to 65% loan to value. And if you're doing a syndication, some of those numbers don't work. Sometimes
0: it's getting tighter, huh?
1: It's getting tighter
0: so interesting um that to me is an interesting commentary right there is fanny Freddie only doing 60 to 70 Uh, but you know i you could certainly it doesn't take a huge imagination to understand why very interesting and so you're just uh you've got a lot of things going on right now i mean do you have a um you kind of have a a vision mapped out you know, for two, three, five years, you even think in those terms or.
1: I do, we have like in in our group, we always have like, what do you want to do in two years? What do you want to do? You know, I just started my company this year. I didn't know at 60, I'd be starting a company, but like, okay. (laughs) And I've got a lot of interest in it. So, you know, my, I don't need to 10 X, you know, Grant Cardone, come on, 10 X. And my mentor is kind of 10 X kind of mentality. And I think that's amazing. And so for me, my goal is to help women investors. Really, that's what I really want to do. A lot of the investors that I brought in uh, as part of my capital raise were first-time investors. And it, it it brings me a lot of joy to teach people. And so um, I I really like to teach people because I, what I do for teaching is I'll usually take them through a deck. And I met with a guy last week. He's like, I've learned more from you in this hour than I have trying to study this for two months. And so that's kind of my goal is to to simplify it so that anyone can understand it and learn how to do due diligence. And so that's one of my goals is to keep educating people. I'm starting a meetup, um, a monthly meetup starting on um, two weeks, actually in my town. And then uh, as far as GPing, it'd be two to three deals a year. And I'd like to be able to bring three to 5 million of uh, capital per deal.
0: I see how uh, obviously you're starting a meetup. How have you met like some of these women that you Will help out. How how will you meet them? Like, what are you going to do to market yourself, or you know, how's that going to play out?
1: Um, well, I was in. I was a member of Tony Robbins Platinum Partners for. Actually, I'm still involved in it for the last couple of years, and I've met a lot of people in there. And um, people see what I'm doing, and that you know they see that I'm doing well at it. And so they ask questions, and then I educate them, and then they'll have friends. And so uh, also through the meetup a local real estate office is hosting it for me. And so I think that those are my avatars. And so I really want to bring in because a lot of realtors make a ton of money and they don't know anything about the the benefits of being a qualified real estate professional. So I want to educate people on that. And I have a couple of people that just sort of, comes naturally. I don't think of it as sales. I remember when I used to go to a Tony Robbins event. I'd come home and I'd be like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And people are like, "What are you doing?" And i I would tell them, and they would go sign up. And it was the same thing when I did multifamily. They're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like multifamily. I'm like, "Well, how do I get in?" Right. And so it, it, there's sort of a fine line for me. It's about excitement, not trying to to sell or. I figure the right people come around when I need them. (laughs) And so by educating people through the meetup, I think that's going to be a good way. And then being on podcasts, I've been on quite a few podcasts. I get some interest from that also.
0: Got it. What would you say, you know, because you do have kind of a a pretty interesting patchwork of real estate experience, right? Yes. It's actually a lot, right? Uh, What would you say are uh, your most important lessons that you've learned?
1: Well, this year I'm putting all my focus on multifamily. Like I said, the most important lessons I've learned and which would have helped me when I lost all that money 23 years ago was like you know the due diligence. How do you do due diligence? How do you do due diligence, especially for a passive investor on the team or do due diligence on the property you're buying? You know what I mean? Because a lot of people know that real estate's a good thing, but they don't know anything about the business of real estate or how to make sure the numbers work or how to check that stuff out.
0: Yeah, I hear that loud and clear. So what would you say is um, is the best business decision you made?
1: Uh, the best business decision I made was to join my mentors group. I, and I joined it because I wanted to help fig- figure out that Los Angeles property I had. I, I met him through Tony Robbins, ha- happened to be on a sitting on a bus in Malaysia, and he was sitting next to me. And I was like, so what do you do? And he's like, I teach people how to invest in a hundred unit plus C-class multifamily. And I'm like, well, oh, I own one of those, right? And that that, that sent me on a whole trajectory. Uh, and that was that was the best decision I made. Actually, it was to go to a Tony Robbins event was the best decision I ever made that sent me on this whole different path.
0: And that was in Malaysia?
1: No, uh, I went to a Tony Robbins event. December 2017 was the first time I went to a Tony Robbins event. And um, just fell in love with the teachings and the people, and that changed the trajectory of my life.
0: So, where where were you on? So, so, but you met you met the. I'm going to use the term mentor. It's not the term you used in in Malaysia on a bus. In
1: I met yeah on a bus in Malaysia on a, uh, a Tony Robbins trip.
0: Okay, and who who is that person?
1: His name is Brad Sumrock.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, he, he's a very well-known guy. Wow. So he, I'm assuming he was at the same event, correct? It was. He
1: was at the, and we ended up traveling the world together that year because we were both platinum partners. So I got to know him and his wife really well. And he's like, you should join my group. And then I joined his group and then he's been, I just think his teachings are amazing. And he's also a friend, right? He treats me as a friend. And he's, we talk on the phone. He's like, I think you should join my mastermind. And so I was like, I don't know. It was expensive, you know? And, and I wrote, it. And, you know, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I'm really grateful for him. Right. And if it weren't for Tony Robbins, I wouldn't have met him. So it's kind of like those were the two best decisions. And so I joined Brad's mastermind. And, you know, just in joining the mastermind, I invested in 10 deals passively and co gp would my first deal in less than a year of joining the mastermind. So that was probably the second best decision I made.
0: Wow. In the deals where you were passive, was that all through other members of the of the Sumrock Mastermind group, or his his?
1: Uh, it was uh, through not just the mastermind, but through members of. So he does a personal mentoring, and so his person some of them were personal mentoring students, and um, but most of them now most of them are in the mastermind. So I'm a people person, and the thing that I learned is I can read people really well. And so I, I spent the first two years just getting to know people like would would I do business with this person? No, that's a no. Like I'll meet someone. I'll be like, Oh no. Right. And then some, Oh yeah. Right. And then I have to, then I follow it up with due diligence. Right. <laughs> so it's like a gut feeling. And, but yeah, most of the people I'm investing with now are, are from that, that ecosystem. It's not just the mastermind, but um, in the Sumrock ecosystem.
0: I see. So here's the last question I have, cause it's been a really good conversation. And I'm trying this question out. I don't know how it's going to work, but I've asked. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> what what is, exactly? It's the uh oh question. What is one thing that people don't know about you?
1: Well, I already mentioned it, so I can't say it now. I was going to say cause that I'm an accidental businesswoman. Um, I, that, that I'm really funny? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they do know that. I always think they don't, and they're like, oh, my God, you're so funny. I can't think of anything. That, I, I'll, I'll give you a good one I, that I've made over a thousand paintings. How's that?
0: There you go. There you, you know, go. I was at the Met. And uh, I told you I was in New York. So I was at the Met a couple weeks ago and I was looking at the Impressionist stuff and I was, I was looking at a Van Gogh painting and I got, there was a tour. So I was kind of like being a parasite off this tour. And she said he, he only painted for 10 years. He made, I forget how many paintings. It's really blowing my point, but he only sold one as while he was alive, but he was super prolific and maybe some thousand number paintings. I don't know. You'd probably know better than me. But anyway, neither here nor there.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, made it. So that's that's something not a lot of people know. So thanks for asking.
0: <laughs> yeah, Ruth. How how would somebody get a hold of you to engage you and and meet you and, and get into some kind of dialogue?
1: You can go on my website, and it's uh, yesmfnow.com. dot com. Okay. So Alrighty. I say, I don't know what you were thinking, but MF stands for multifamily.
0: <laughs> you know, I would be lying to, th- to say that that did not occur to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this has been very, very good. Enjoy Vale. You, for the audience's sake, she showed me, uh, Ruth showed me a, a, a view out her window and I'm like, oh my God, that's gorgeous. So uh, very, uh, very, very interesting conversation. And I look forward to seeing you again.
1: Thanks. It's been such an honor. I really appreciate you having me on. Hopefully we'll get to meet in person somewhere.
0: We will talk to you soon. Thank you. See ya.